Thank you for downloading this episode of the 155 Podcast, the public records interview series of all candidates in Hamilton's 2018 municipal election. For more election coverage, visit thepublicrecord.ca where you can sign up for our City Hall newsletter. Episode 12, David Ford, Ward 9 City Council Candidate, recorded on August 16, 2018. David Ford, you're running for Ward 9 City Councilor. Welcome to the Public Records 155 podcast. Great. Thanks very much for having me today, Joey. First question is pretty straightforward. Who is David Ford? I was born in Liverpool, and we came to Canada in 1969 when I was 11 months old. My dad ended up working at Stelco. My mom was a nurse in the general hospital. Pretty much quintessential Hamiltonian ever since I was 11 months old, I would say. In terms of my career, I began as a chef here in Hamilton, quickly learned that ultimately was not going to be for me, and then moved into various management positions, finally ending in financial services as an executive with a major mutual fund company in Toronto. In 2010, I started my own recruiting and human resource consulting firm in Hamilton. We began with two people, and we're at 10 now, and we've got people in Halifax right away to Vancouver. In terms of my personal life, I'm very much a family man, married to an incredible woman, born and raised in Hamilton all her life, father of four, I'm a grandfather of of six rugrats. It's probably important that that our listeners know that I am in no way, shape, or form related to Doug or Rob Ford. Why are you running? It became clear to me when I saw very little being done in the ward that we really needed to have someone in city council who was going to represent our concerns. I've recently did a little bit of research about the incumbent. I've discovered, of course, there's an article that outlines that he's missed four out of 15 council meetings, uh, which is about 27%. And I can't think of any job where missing 27% of your key responsibilities would uh, mean you get to stay employed. I also found that really we had someone voting on critical issues, you know, 74% of the time, who I'd never heard from, I'd never seen, I'd never had an email, a phone call a newsletter, a blog, an RSS feed, or even so much as a smoke signal. And what I found was that really neither had any of my neighbors. That was really the cue for me to talk to my family and get their blessing and know that time had come. I knew I definitely had to do something to help make change. One of my favorite quotes uh, inspired me to take action, and I'm sure you know it, everybody seems to, and it's to be the change you want to see in the world. And I didn't want to be a complainer. And Joey, I really wanted to go out there and make change if, if that was possible. And I figured a lot of people that I spoke to, they wanted the change as well. How have you contributed to your community and our city? I ride in a motorcycle riding club. I know people see me in my suit all the time, and they can't see me in leathers on a motorcycle. But, uh, you know, the riding club exists for two reasons. And the first, uh, obviously, is to enjoy the sport of riding with friends and family. We, we are a family club. And the other one is to do uh, good works and work with local charities and help people in our local community. Our Hamilton uh, chapter of our riding club currently supports the Hamilton chapter of Autism Ontario. And it's a charity that's near and dear to our heart because we have members that have children who are autistic. They need this support and we feel very good about it. You know, we've supported lots of other ones over the years. We ride in many of the ride days that you're likely familiar with. You know, the Ride for Dad, Ride for Sight and, and many of these. We're also currently working on raising awareness for distracted driving, and I know we all know it's there, but we really are hoping to urge police to take a stronger approach, at the very least, find ways to better enforce the law. I know when I look around when I'm driving, I see a lot of people on their phone, and it's something that has to be changed. We lost two friends in the last 12 months that were killed by distracted drivers. 
I can tell you that the penalty for the first was a $1,000 fine and a suspended sentence. And that is just not acceptable when you take somebody's life because of a choice that you made that you shouldn't have been doing. We are very, very passionate about that particular topic. We're passionate about helping our community. And, you know, this is the stuff that we really love. You know, a number of years ago, also, I was a civilian instructor and a volunteer with the Army cadets in Hamilton. I was an Army cadet. I was a, a Riley when I was a kid, and my son and his friends became Rileys, and I was very proud to, to support them and to help that organization. It's a wonderful organization. And as I said, these are the kinds of things that the club likes to do. These are things I've really enjoyed doing and, and certainly plan on doing more of it. What are your two priorities for Ward 9 and two priorities for Hamilton as a whole? I'll start with Ward 9. My priorities that, and I say my priorities, but really they're the priorities of the people that I've been speaking to over the last number of years and through our observation and, and through our challenges by living on Ward 9. They can be summarized by these two words, traffic and transit. We have about 80,000 people coming to Ward 9 in the coming years, and we have got to get this infrastructure right. And so far, we definitely haven't. Rymel Road was widened to four lanes, and that was a good start. But, of course, they stopped that construction just as all of the equipment and the people were there. And it bottlenecks pretty severely. If you're around there and you're around 3 o'clock, 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock, it's a pretty serious bottleneck. Another example is the Red Hill Link Junction right at the highway. There are no guardrails on two ramps, one onto the Red Hill and one off of the Link. And uh, I have frequently seen cars on the roof who have flipped over because no basic guardrails on what I perceive to be a poorly banked uh, ramp. The other one, of course, is uh, getting onto the link heading west, and that is a terrible, terrible ramp. There are no guardrails there, and there are signs, of course, that, that point the direction of the road. I would say weekly just about. I'm, I notice that those signs go missing one by one, and that's because cars are hitting them and, and jumping into the ditch. That's a real problem, and these are very, very obvious corrections that should have never occurred. And these are some of the examples from a traffic perspective. As part of that traffic is timing of lights. I'm not sure if uh, you've ever driven from uh, Highway 20 to get on the link, but I can tell you, you have to stop about five different times. It's annoying, it's frustrating, but more importantly, it's terrible for the people that live in that area for two main reasons. One is the sound. Cars that are constantly accelerating and stopping, accelerating and stopping. Idling cars and accelerating cars, they produce an awful lot of bad pollution, of course, tailpipe pollution coming out of there, which stays at road level for the most part. The other is noise. The noise is incredible along that area, and I know that many people that I've spoken with that live in that area are telling me that the noise is incredible. The other one that's kind of important as part of that really is that safety, and because the lights aren't timed, you do have trucks mainly. There's an awful lot of trucks along that Mud Street corridor that are doing incredible speeds. One of the people that I spoke with the other day had mentioned that they were actually afraid to turn onto Mud Street off of First Road because they thought they might be hit by a truck. The lights just are not effective. And again, these are simple fixes. Those are a couple of examples of the traffic issues that I think that need to be fixed in Ward 9 for sure. I mentioned transit. It's no secret, I think, to anybody that takes transit, that transit really needs to be improved. And we certainly have some ideas in the campaign. We certainly have some ideas from those that take it and that live in the ward. And we'd like to hear more about that specifically. But I can give a quick example, again, from another person living in the ward who had an opportunity to go for a job interview, and it was at Eastgate Square. 
this person decided not to pursue the job, didn't even go to the interview because the bus routes, the scheduling of buses from Ward 9 down to Eastgate and back are just insufficient. And coming back late at night, they're a little bit too infrequent, and they just really felt that it was a safety issue taking transit at night from Eastgate up to Ward 9. Also, access to Binbrook. Here's another community that uh, is part of Hamilton that, of course, we really don't have any transit connection to, and that just seems wrong. And that's just something, a couple of quick examples of some transit improvements that need to be made. They need to be made very, very quickly. In terms of the city, I think the first really is about eliminating frivolous spending. I have two really good examples, I believe, of the thought process of City Hall, current City Hall. The first is flowers and intersections, and I've been uh, tweeting on and off with Mayor Fred Eisenberger and some people that are following the mayor. Listen, flowers are beautiful. If I could, my God, wouldn't it be great to have flowers in every intersection, in every city, in every country of the world? The reality is, while pretty, it's just not efficient use of taxpayer money. There are definitely other ways of doing it. If we really wanted to have flowers, if the people of Hamilton felt that flowers were an important issue for them, then there are ways that we can do this. Sponsorships, I understand that there is a sponsorship program, but I don't believe it's widely accepted. I have seen one that did have sponsorship sign on it, but the sign is so small, there's nothing there to incent a business to pay for those flowers. So again, it's beautiful, it's wonderful. Is it a good expenditure of taxpayer money? In my opinion, and those of the people that I've been speaking with, no, it's not. And the other is Albion Falls. Albion Falls, we've seen a lot in the news in the previous years about Albion Falls and people getting trapped and needing to be rescued. And I can see that they've put up fences and they've put up signs and they've warned off people about going into Albion Falls. But what I object to is somebody being stationed in a van to guard Albion Falls from people going down there. It's absolutely foolish in my mind to do that. I think we've put fences up, we've put up warning signs, and if people go down there, well, then we hold them accountable for their personal actions. We don't have to guard it. What is the cost of paying a city employee to guard Albion Falls from people going down there? Again, these are just examples, quick examples of what the current city feels is a good expenditure of money. And they're just not good expenditures of taxpayer money. And let's remember that it is taxpayers' money. Another bugaboo, I think, for the city is area rating funds. And I've done some reading on this in the last little while. And I must say, some of the expenditures or some of the ways that I've seen city councilors spend that money is just egregious. And I have no love of politicians. I should probably put that out there right now. And and I certainly don't plan to be one. I believe a city councilor doesn't necessarily need to be a politician. I'll explain that a bit later, I guess. Putting discretionary funds in the hands of a politician, of an elected official at any level, It's just a bad idea. And that's what the area rating funds are doing. That's what the area rating funds are, rather, is discretionary funds. And if you are interested, go online and take a look at the kinds of things that they've spent this money on. This has to stop. And either we provide proper oversight for its use or we eliminate it. I'm good either way. It really depends on what people want to see with regards to that money. Really, I think about every dollar being saved is a dollar that can be spent someplace else to improve other areas, to improve the lives of Hamiltonians. I think that's really, really critical. I think the other priority is something that I'd like to start a discussion about, and that's about public schools. You know, we have a lot of schools in this city, and people are saying, oh, we need more pools, and we need more rec centers. And yes, that certainly may be true, but we have rec centers. We have gyms and fields and pools in many of these schools. Why are we closing them at 3 o'clock except for the, the school teams? We close them in the summer and they're not accessible. I think some of the people that are guarding Albion Falls or planting flowers could be better used to supervise equipment and provide access to these 
types of facilities for the entire city to use for the entire year till nine o'clock at night. And I think that would go a long way to getting families out of their houses, getting kids off their phones and getting them outside to enjoy what Hamilton has to offer. Those are some of the items, I think, just two at least, I believe that Hamilton would benefit by seeing. What are three skills you will bring to elected office that make you the best choice to represent Hamiltonians on city council? That's a great question, Joey. I mentioned that I have no love of politicians. I'm a business person. I've spent my entire life in business. That acumen and that experience have really lent me certain skills that I believe will be powerful for any counselor to possess. Negotiation skills are a big one. I think brokering agreements with people, with various stakeholders, with other counselors, being able to negotiate, being able to put deals together, and being able to do it in a respectful way is how business is conducted. And that's an easy way to transfer the skills that I've learned in business to the business of city council. Communication, another skill. I may not be uh, terrific at uh, podcasts, but certainly in terms of professional communication, communicating with the public, communicating with stakeholders, communicating with others is really, really critical. And the last one, I've always been told that I'm a people person. I am a people person, but I've also been told that I play pretty well with others. And I think that you need to be able to get along with everyone and find a way to get along with people. And as a city councilor, you interact with an awful lot of people on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis. Having the people skills to be able to do that, to get things done, and to fulfill the promises that a councilor has made to their constituents come from these three skills primarily. You'll notice that I didn't talk about technical skills. There's other things, educational background. I didn't talk about those things. Everything that we do as human beings, and I don't mean to be too philosophical, but everything is about people. So if you have skills that help you get along and communicate and work things through with people, I think that those are some of the most powerful skills that anyone can have and for any job. What is something interesting or unique about Ward 9 that you believe the rest of Hamilton should know? Great question. Again, Hamilton is really growing. And I know we all know that from what we've read and so on, but Hamilton is projected to grow to about 660,000 people by 2031. So in the next 13 years, Ward 9 specifically has been identified as the preferred location to accommodate a lot of that new growth. And the ward, particularly Ward 9, has been projected to grow by about 80,000 people, as I'd mentioned earlier. That's a significant growth. And it's going to provide ample challenges and opportunities, I think, that uh, need to be looked at and managed properly. Enough with the easy questions. Let's get to the hard one. Hamilton's zoning regulations prevent the building of multi-unit clustered housing, which is in scale with existing single-family housing, commonly referred to as the missing middle. There are approximately 100,000 Hamiltonians in their 20s and approximately 140,000 Hamiltonians over the age of 65. The missing middle is medium-density, transit-connected housing in walkable communities, and is important to young renters, first-time owners, and critical for seniors seeking to successfully age in place in the communities they've lived for decades. As a member of City Council, you will need to address housing challenges in Hamilton. You will face opposition to infill development and provincially mandated intensification. How will you respond to concerns about development, and where do you believe mid-density growth should occur in your ward? This took a little of my brain power to sit down and give some thought to and talk to a few people with regards to do a little bit of research. I'm not going to pretend to have all the answers. It is a complicated issue for this city and a unique one, I think, for Hamilton that many other cities don't possess. I see this really as a two-part question, Joey. In terms of responding to concerns, 
I'm going to go back to uh, some of the skills that I just mentioned. I would take the same approach to responding to concerns on virtually any issue. I'm going to refer to three guiding principles that I am uh, running on, three guiding principles that I've listed in my website that are really critical, I believe, to what we're doing here. And the first is representation and communication and accessibility. With regards to communication, I find that people, they're really the most upset or the most critical when either they don't have enough information or when they have the wrong information. And that almost always leads to incompatible expectations. And people get angry and they get hot under their collar. And I think that being able to communicate what's going on, share everything that's known about what's going on, being accessible in the ward, not just at City Hall, being accessible in the ward to talk to people about the issues and representing their voice in council. Those are really three guiding principles, but they're critical, I think, to handling any concerns that people may have on any topic. With regards to the specifics of your question, I'm running on issues that I've observed. I'm running to correct issues that people in the ward are sharing with me, that my neighbors are sharing with me and telling me that they're critical to the quality of life for Hamilton, the quality of their life in the ward. Honestly, talking to people about these kinds of things, specifically zoning regulations and building this missing middle, it's just not an issue that they're aware of. It's not an issue that comes to mind. And I understand that. We see houses going up in Ward 9 all the time, but we're not really thinking about having a higher intensity or multi-unit clustered housing and having more walkable communities. Having said that, I think it will be an important issue in the future. I mentioned the growth of Ward 9, 80,000 people, Hamilton going to 660,000 people in the next, not 50 years, in the next 13 years. This is going to come up. This is going to be something that we need to look at in Ward 9 and to challenge that a lot of other wards are not going to have. They don't have anywhere to grow, and Ward 9 only has area to grow. It's going to be a critical issue, and it's going to require some research. We're going to require input. We're going to require to hear from people. And I think that should we go down this road, and likely we will, the area that likely we'll see it in is will be in the Elfrida region. It's going to be south of Rymel and probably east of Upper Centennial. What are two changes you will propose to improve city services? There's a couple of changes that I think that need to be done probably right away, or at least uh, conversations need to be had about them. And the first really is a massive reduction in the use of road salt. I use the word massive intentionally. Less road salt is simply going to mean better, longer-lasting roads. Savings on salt could certainly be utilized uh, through better plowing, more plowing. Currently, again, I'm hearing, I've observed it, I've heard from many people, and not just my ward, but friends and neighbors across the uh, city, that quality of plowing is just not there. It doesn't appear to be a whole lot of oversight, supervision, or quality assurance, quality control about the work that they're doing. That's a big one. Another one that I'm hearing is about public spaces and lighting. We have some beautiful public spaces in Hamilton, of course, but once it gets twilight, once it gets dark, for the most part, those areas are absolutely deserted. And the primary reason they're deserted is because the quality of lights, the number of lights are just not there to give people a sense of safety. And I think safer locations are going to mean locations that are used. I think it's going to mean families are going to be there. It's going to be kids not on their cell phones. It's going to be kids outside in those public spaces. I don't know, maybe the kids will be on their cell phones in those public spaces, but either way, they'll be outside and that's probably a good thing. What are two changes you will propose to improve the quality of life in Hamilton? The quality of life in Hamilton is outstanding. It is one of the best cities in the world, bar none. I challenge any Hamiltonian to tell me otherwise. I just don't believe it. Having said that, there are a few things that I think that we can improve and we need to be careful about for the future. And I don't want to be sounding like a crazy environmentalist, 
But we do have to take the environment in mind. And air quality in Hamilton is a major, major concern. You may not be aware of it, but it really is. In fact, downtown Hamilton specifically is one of the worst in the province. That's only going to get worse. Ward 9 is going to get worse, and, and everything is going to get worse. And there are a few things that need to happen. We have to improve the air quality, and there are a lot of different ways that we can do it. A couple of quick examples. We've got to get cars moving. As I mentioned, idling cars and cars that are constantly accelerating and stopping, that's just terrible for the environment. It's terrible for the local air quality of our communities. I think if we improve transit, as I've talked about, that'll encourage more people. If we make it more affordable, we make it more accessible, we make it more routes, it will be used more. The missing middle, as we've talked about, more walkable communities, transit-connected communities. The less we rely on cars, the better it's going to be. Now, don't get me wrong. There's a lot of cars on the road, and it's increasing. People are just not going to take their bicycles to work. And a lot of people don't work in Hamilton. They certainly don't work in an area where a bicycle would make sense. The bike lanes are great, and we have to do that, and we need to continue to do that and expand on that. But cars are here to stay, at least for the foreseeable future. So we have to find ways to make that work so that we can improve the quality of air. One quick example that that I've become aware of is rooftop gardens. Maybe not planting the flowers in those concrete intersections in the city. Maybe we could reutilize those people to make rooftop gardens. You can do a bit of research on that. It'll show you that it helps to lower the temperature of cities and it improves air quality dramatically. We have an awful lot of not very high buildings in Hamilton, which a rooftop garden could be an incredible idea to really help with air quality. The other area, again, and I don't want to sound like a broken record, but cost reductions. Every dollar saved can be reinvested to provide for people in poverty. We can provide breakfasts for hungry kids. We can support food banks. We can help with affordable housing. And the list is, frankly, inexhaustible in terms of the things that we could do if we didn't spend money on other areas. I've said many times publicly and to friends and family and neighbors that the more a government spends, the worse off we are. And the flip side of that, and why I say that, is because investing in people and investing in your city is different than spending on the city. As an example, I see planting flowers in intersections. Sure, it's pretty, but is that investing in our city or is it spending on the city? I see it as spending, and so do those in my ward telling me that they see it as a waste. I see having people guard Albion Falls. That is not an investment. It's an expenditure. My mission's really going to be to convert one to the other. We have to convert Spending to investment instead. Hamilton City Council decided against ranked balloting. Ranked ballots enable voters to choose by prioritizing candidates, usually the top three. They feel qualified for public office and best able to represent them. What is your position on ranked ballots? City Council deciding against it is a typically foolish and myopic stance of the council. I really feel that a real representative of people would just do the right thing. And I believe that the right thing is to support ranked balloting. Frankly, I'm 100% behind ranked voting. I've done my research. We need to do it. I've even done a video endorsement in support of it. If you do a little bit of research yourself, you'll find that Canada's municipalities are really in a minority around the world for ranked voting. We need to really have a conversation about electoral reform in this city, and we need to do that now. We need to get into the 21st century. How will you improve civic governance and engagement during the next four years? Terrific question. This is the primary reason why I've decided to run, as I mentioned uh, earlier in the interview, going back to those three, and I call them guiding principles of representation, communication, accessibility, not seeing any of those things with our incumbent. And it's uh, precisely the reason why I developed uh, the language around it and the reason why I'm running representation. My job is going to be here to represent 
the people of Ward 9, not to rule. And I find a lot of politicians get themselves into trouble when they forget that they're a representative and they think they're somebody's ruler. And that just cannot happen. Representation is absolutely critical. Communication, again, no emails, no blogs, no newsletters, no meetings, nothing, no smoke signals even. That cannot continue. A city councillor does not live or work in a bubble. We have to have better communication or even actual communication. And accessibility. I'm not sure if you've ever been down to City Hall. I'm sure you probably have been there a lot, Joey. Parking is not great, and getting in and out of City Hall is is not always an easy task. My plan is to be in the ward, on the ward, at local businesses, trying to support local business, but being available and being publicly available if people want to come and talk to me. Share. Please share. Come and talk to me. Tell me what's going on, and I'm there to listen. That's what representation is all about. Those are three really key areas, and I think those things will drive much better engagement and certainly proper civic governance. Governance, not rule. How will the City of Hamilton's strategic plan guide your decision-making in hiring a new city manager, and what qualities do you seek in a new city manager? I know they spent an awful lot of time on the strategic plan, and I have to say I like it. To me, it makes a ton of sense. It embodies what we're doing in Hamilton and what we want to do in Hamilton. And in that strategic plan, what I see is a a balanced approach to Hamilton and to Hamilton's growth. And so any city manager should embody that, should embody the balance that's inherent in that strategic plan. And I mentioned balance, really it's a balance between doing what we've done, which is tried and true, and continuing on with those things. But also on the flip side, having an open mind about new ideas, new ways of doing things. And I just think that just makes sense for any manager of any position in any city. The other one, I think, is really people skills. You know, the city manager is going to have oversight to nearly 8,000 people. Obviously, the city manager must have the right technical and educational skills and experience, but I think they have to be a real people person. I mentioned earlier that all products and services everywhere are about people. Nothing's about a robot. It's all about people. That city manager must be able to engage with those people particularly, but also the city and councillors and everyone else. And keep that top of mind that the strategic plan is not about the city, it's about the people of the city. And keep that in mind while they're implementing that strategic plan. Those are two really good places to start, I think, is embodying balance in the strategic plan and high level of really, really great people skills. Politics is the art of allocating limited resources and compromising to find solutions. How will you do so? At the risk of disagreeing with you, Joey, and what politics is, I'd like to define politics as being the useless self-promoting act of gamesmanship. I mentioned earlier that I'm not a fan of politicians, and I certainly have no plan to be one. What you've stated in your question, I don't call politics. I call it good government. And I think, as I'd mentioned a couple of times, it just comes from listening to one's constituents and communicating professionally and working with others properly. It's really the hallmarks of a good counselor. And these are skills that I've developed in my 25-plus years in business. Really, it's not rocket science if you can check your ego at the door, if you work for the community instead of yourself, and if you love your community as I do. It's 2022. The public record is writing a review of the four-year council term that's just ending. What three words do you hope we will use to describe your term on council, and what three words do you hope will describe council as a whole? Great question. I guess as far as describing me, just as promised, I think would be a good headline. And I think for a council, it should say it's finally working. Those would be two goals I would, I'd like to see come out of my four-year term. Thank you. That's the end of the prepared questions you were sent in advance. Do you have any closing remarks you wish to share? Very, very brief, Joey. Thanks very much again for the opportunity. 
What I'd like to say is that by the nature of your questions, I think that it's fairly obvious that what we need here is a fresh perspective and not more of the same. No more career politicians, just good management. I have the fresh perspective. I'm a Ward 9 longtime resident. I'm offering to be that good manager. You know, necessary change in an evolving community like Hamilton that's as vibrant and as diverse as Hamilton is, really it comes only when you change the leadership of that community. And to change the leadership of our community, we need to get out there and vote. I guess the ultimate message there is whomever you vote for, please do just get out there and vote. Thanks again very much, Joy, for the opportunity. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us today. I want to thank the Red Hill branch of the Hamilton Public Library for the sound studio that we recorded this in today. This has been episode 12 of the Public Records, The 155 podcast, our interviews with all candidates in the 2018 municipal election. The Public Record is Hamilton's local, independent, reader-funded news outlet. This podcast is made possible by members of the Public Records Press Club. Visit thepublicrecord.ca to learn more and listen to all episodes of The 155 podcast. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed. The Public Record is a member of the National News Media Council, a voluntary self-regulatory organization that deals with journalistic practices and ethical behavior. To learn more about the Media Council, visit the Media Council at mediacouncil.ca. Thank you for listening. See you at the polls on October 22nd.